Happy Sabbath, church family. Seems like the right side is everywhere. Everyone wants to be on that side, amen? You want to be on the right side, amen? Before we begin to study, we need help. Is that right? Let's ask God to help us as we study his word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and your tender mercy you have extended again to us this morning. Lord, your Sabbath is drawn. You are here. We beg of you, Father, to open our hearts. The door is open. Please come in this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last night, we began the subject matter, the judgment is set. And we looked at an interesting quotation that I want to present to you this morning. It says, when we as a people understand what this book means to us, there will be seen among us a great revival. We do not understand fully the lessons that it teaches. Notwithstanding the injunction given us to search and to study it. Last night we saw that this referenced the book of Daniel. It says, when the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood... Believers will have an entirely different religious experience. And notice I highlight the idea entirely different. Entirely different doesn't mean the same way you are presently. Is that right? Entirely different means complete radical change. They will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that heart and mind will be impressed with the character that all must develop in order to realize the blessedness which is to be the reward of the pure in heart. And then we looked at this quotation. Now, I just want to reiterate these principles before we begin our study. We looked at this one. It says, the theme of greatest importance is the third angel's message. Embracing the messages of the first and second angels. All should understand the truths contained in these messages and demonstrate them in daily life. For this is essential to salvation. What is essential to to salvation? The demonstration of these principles in daily life. And then it goes on to say, we shall have to study earnestly, prayerfully, in order to understand these grand truths and our power to learn and comprehend will be taxed to the uttermost. So again, we're going to study, again, familiar truths, things you already know, you should know, as Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventists. But as we're looking at these principles, I want to ask you the question, how is Christ demonstrating this in your life? We looked at Revelation 12, the dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. He was in the very presence of God. He was the anointed covering cherub. No one else had access like Lucifer had access The Bible says that he used his tail to deceive one-third of the angels, and one-third of those angels were cast out. We did a little mathematics. We said at least one-third of the angels was about 51 million fallen angels, at least that many. There had to be at least minimum that many. It could be more. And these fallen angels have come down to this world to cause chaos and corruption, and yea, friends, I tell you the truth, Satan says, I am going to attack the very foundation of God's throne. We looked at several verses, and I'm going to write them here on the board. We looked at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 
chapter 14 and verse 34. And we saw in Proverbs 14 and verse 34 that righteousness does what to a nation? It exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. We saw in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 that Lucifer weakens the nation. So we thought for a moment, we start to logically put this together. If Lucifer weakens the nations and righteousness exalts the nations, then we know that Lucifer is attacking righteousness. Is that right? And then we looked a little further. We said if Lucifer is attacking righteousness, we looked in Psalms chapter 97 and verse 2. And in Psalms 97 and verse 2, it says, righteousness and judgment are the foundation of his throne. We said, oh, is that right? Lucifer attacks the foundation of God's throne. He attacks righteousness. And then we look to the book of Psalms 119 and 172. And in Psalms 119, 172, it says, and turn with me there. I want you to read this. Everyone have your Bible? Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles. I'm really not that good looking, amen? So you want to make sure you open your Bibles. And we can study the word of God together. Psalms 119 and 172. You know, the creative energies that call the worlds into existence is in this book. There's no creative energy inside of me, friends. You need to open your Bibles and look carefully at what the word of God says. Psalms 119, 172 says, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are what? So God's commandments are righteousness. So we see at the foundation of the government of God are the commandments, the perfect reflection of God himself. And Lucifer says, I will destroy this foundation. I will set up a whole nother paradigm. We looked even more closely at creation. We saw in creation that on the first day there was what? There was light. The second day there was what? What was on the second day, friends? The firmament. What was on the third day? You guys believe in creation here. I, I know you guys had uh, some teachings over there at uh, one of those schools that taught that creation was longer. What happened on the third day, friends? The birds. Is that what you guys said? The trees. The earth and sea, friends. What happened on the fourth day? Are you sure? All right. Sun, moon, and stars. What happened on the fifth day? Sun, moon, and stars, birds, and fish. And on the sixth day, what happened? Man, very good. You guys, we're in class, so I want to make sure you answer those questions. Amen. What happened on the seventh day? Everyone should be happy about this. What happened on the seventh day? God rested on the seventh day from all that he created and made. So now let's think about this for a few moments. Which one of these, which one of these works on his own? Which one of these is isolated to himself? None of them work on their own. All of them are interdependent upon each other. Is that right? There's no selfishness, at least in the initial creation of, of what the world took in, in, in the creation of the world. There was no selfishness. Everything shared. Could you say, could, could I safely say that creation was the perfect reflection of the creator? 
You know, when someone put this building together, I don't know who they were, but they liked roundness. You see that? They liked roundness. You see the window? The window here, this round. This was in someone's mind. It didn't just appear like that, you understand? It's a reflection of someone's mind. And when you look at creation, creation is simply a reflection, at least in the initial stages, of the perfection of the mind of God. And notice what the Bible says in Psalms 19. Go there with me. Psalms 19. In Psalms 19, beginning at verse 1. Psalms 19, and beginning at verse 1, and notice what the Bible says. When you have it, just say amen. It says, the heavens declare the glory of who? So when the heavens were put in place, the firmament was in place, it was declaring the glory, the person, the character of God. Hmm. Then sin was introduced. And when sin was introduced, beloved, it was isolated right here at a tree. Remember, we talked about this yesterday. It was here. It couldn't go anywhere else but at that tree. And when Adam and Eve, when Eve took that fruit and she bit it and then she began to walk around, she herself became a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thank you, other. She herself became a tree, a conduit by which Satan could communicate his deceptions to Adam. Now, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer me right now, but what kind of tree are you? What kind of tree are you? Are you partaking of good and evil? You know, the Christian should not be taking, partaking of any evil, you understand. You see, if a Christian takes, partakes of good and evil, you are the reason why sin is still here on planet Earth. Oh, he said, I'm not inviting that brother back here again. Notice, sin is isolated. But as sin is isolated, it begins to take over the whole world. And there's no place on planet Earth, yea, even in this building this morning, there is no place on Earth where sin has not made an effect. You can feel it in your own body. Some of you have pains that you didn't have when you were 20 or 30 years old. Is that right? You can, feel the, you can feel the effects of sin in your physical frame. Yeah, you can feel it in your mental and even in your spiritual life. Sin is no longer relegated to a tree, friends. It seems to me that many have become trees of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to listen to me. Because unless there's a change amongst the people of God, we're lost. And the great majority of God's people in these final hours of earth's history, those who call themselves the remnant won't make it. Because we're comfortable, you understand? We have ease, we have comforts, we have nice homes and fancy cars, we have good jobs, but those jobs won't last much longer. Soon, friends, the question will be, what kind of tree are you? Who are you demonstrating in your everyday life? Are you demonstrating the third angel's message? Do you even understand what that means? Know this man, his name is Abraham. And Abraham was a man of God. The Bible says, and we were looking at Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham. What did God make with Abraham? A covenant. And I want you to look carefully with me in the book of Genesis. Go back with me now. The book of Genesis. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And there are things I want to share with you this morning that are linking to another study in the afternoon. So I want you to pay attention to some of the things that I emphasize. In Genesis chapter 17... And beginning at verse number 10. And this is God speaking to Abraham. And listen carefully. 
It says, this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and thee. What is the token of the covenant? I'm sorry, what, what, according to the verse, what is the token of the covenant between Abraham and God? Circumcision. Circumcision. Forgive me if I spell it wrong. Circumcision is a token. What's another word for token? Say it again. A mark or a sign, is that right? A mark, a sign. Now, we read yesterday in the book of Galatians. Go with me back to Galatians. Galatians, chapter 3. God told Abraham, and made this covenant with Abraham, told Abraham that he would be a great and mighty nation, and that his seed would be a great benefit to all the world. Galatians, chapter 3, and look at verse number 6 again. And we're reviewing, friends, because it's important as we begin our study. Galatians 3 and verse 6, the Bible says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for what? So Abraham believing God was accounted as righteousness. Was the token considered righteousness? No. The token was a symbol of Abraham's belief. Are you listening to me? The token was a symbol. It signified, I believe God. I am demonstrating my commitment to God by this act of faith, which is an illustration or a sign that I am in a covenant with God. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying to you. This outward act, this outward demonstration that God used as a symbol was a token or a sign of his faith. Wait, let's go a little further. I want you to read this with me on the screen. Remember, all nations will be blessed by Abraham. And this says, society is composed of families. And it's what the heads of families make it. Out of the heart are the issues of life, and the heart of the community, of the church, and of the nation is the household. The well-being of society, the success of the church, the prosperity of the nation depend upon home influences. Remember we read about Abraham. And Abraham, the Bible says, I can trust Abraham with the secret because I know he will command his household after me. I know that he will teach his family the commandments and the virtues and the righteousness of God. Therefore, I can trust Abraham with my secret. I'm going to pose a different word up here for you. Another word for secret? Are you ready for the other word? All right. All right. Only one person, but that's all right. Another word for secret is mystery. Listen to me. Remember when God said to Abraham, look at verse number 16 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Look at verse 16. In Genesis, Galatians 3 and verse 16, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, 
not and to seize as many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is who? It seems to me that when God made that covenant with Abraham and said that through you shall all nations be blessed, that this seed or this secret or this mystery of how this would take place was said when Christ met him privately. Now, I want to go a little further. You see this? Just a little diagram so you can understand the principle of what I'm trying to present to you. What's here? What, what does that say? Family. Out of the family are the issues of life. After family, we have the church. That's what this place is supposed to be. Is that right? The church, a body of believers, people who commonly believe in the same God. And in Adventism, we believe in a God that's coming soon, who is standing in the most holy place in the sanctuary above. Is that right? Well, let's go a little further. After the church, we then have community. Community. And after community, what do, you, what do you think we have? All right, we have nation. And after we have the nation, what do you think we have? The world. I want you to read this. I want to read this to you. I find this quite fascinating as I was studying the book Education, this wonderful book here. I was reading the chapter called The Eden Home. You ever read that before? The Eden School, actually. The last paragraph in that book says these words, and I want you to pay attention to these words. Education, page 22. It's in the middle of the paragraph, last paragraph. It says, the Garden of Eden was a representation of what God desired the whole earth to become. Listen. The Garden of Eden was a representation of what God desired the whole earth to become, and it was his purpose that as the human family increased in numbers, they should establish other homes and schools like the one he had given. Wait a second. What consisted of the first family? Let's look at it for a moment. Let's look at the first educational system. Are you ready? Where's my eraser? Give me a little bit more space. Because do you understand what I'm teaching you right now is going to solve all our problems? I don't know if you know this, but it is at the heart of the last message of God to the world. And if we get it right in our homes, friends, this world will soon be warned and we can go home very soon. How many are excited about that? Look at this a little closely. In the Garden of Eden... We had a teacher, we had students, we had classroom, and we had a textbook. Teacher, students, classroom, and textbook. I wonder, who was the teacher in the Garden of Eden? God and the angels. All right? God and angels. Who were the students in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve. You guys are brilliant. Adam and Eve. What was the classroom? The garden itself. You know what they called it is the Eden home. I wonder what the textbook was. Nature. 
Now, why could nature, why is it that nature could be the textbook? Because it was a perfect reflection of the character of the one who created. So when they looked at nature, no sin, you could look at nature and see the principles of God in nature. No defilement. It was absolutely perfect. This was the original classroom. Now remember, God said he wanted to establish other schools and homes like this all around the world. This was God's plan from the beginning. Wait a second. I want you to finish reading this. Notice what this says. The Garden of Eden was a representation of what God desired the whole earth to become, and it was his purpose that as the human family increased in numbers, they should establish other homes and schools like the one he had given. Thus, in course of time, the whole earth might be occupied with homes and schools where the words and works of God should be studied and where the students shall also be fitted more and more fully to reflect throughout endless ages the light of the knowledge of his glory. Hmm. So in the Eden school, in the Eden home, the focus of their education was to observe God and his character in nature. We established that in nature, nothing serves itself. Everything serves something else. But after sin, this all changed. Is that right? I thought this was interesting. You guys are familiar with these images, is that right? You see them in evangelistic meetings. You're able to tell me that the head of gold is Babylon. But let me ask you a question. Based on what we studied, I want you to give me an answer from based, on, based on what we studied. Why did Babylon fall? Wait. What does this verse say? Righteousness exalts the nation. So why would Babylon fall? Because it's self-exaltant. You're not listening right now, are you? Babylon falls, friends, because it's self-exaltant. Righteousness exalts the nation. Babylon says, I will ascend. Look at Daniel 4 and 5. Pride is the main point of both those chapters. I will ascend. Lucifer weakens the nations. Oh, next, next kingdom. Let's look at the next kingdom. You know this kingdom. What kingdom is this? Medo-Persia. Why did Medo-Persia fall? Talk to me, friends. Why did Medo-Persia fall? Same thing, friends. The rise and fall of nations is perfectly illustrated that man without God will not stand. Do you hear me? The nations will not stand unless there's a God, and that judgment is based on his law. You know, it's interesting. God gives every race the opportunity to rule. He gives every man that comes into this world the opportunity to rule your home. Do you understand that? You have the chance and the privilege to live and reflect the character of God. And if you want to do it on your own, God says, I'm going to give you a chance to do it on your own. How many have tried on your own? Have you tried on your own? You failed, haven't you? Falling flat on your face, busted nose and all. 
And God, time after time, nation after nation, on a large scale, you know, when we look at prophecy, we look at it wrong, friends. Right now, you know, we're looking at curve one even. Oh, this Bill of Rights is about to be moved out of the way. Oh, the National Sunday Law is coming. Well, why? Why is it coming? What's transpiring? You understand that the reactions on planet Earth are simply Satan reacting to God's movements in heaven. You're not listening to me this morning. Satan knows that God is about to do something special. The Bill of Rights or any other right that is being taken away from mankind is only Satan's reaction to stop people from getting ready to see Jesus. He must see something happening in order for him to say, hey, 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 let's start snatching. Let's start snatching. Well, let me ask you this question. 1844, everybody believes, well, most Adventists believe. There are some who claim to be Adventists that don't believe this, but I don't have time for that. Most Adventists believe 1844, right? Tell me something. You tell me. You have, to t- you have to explain this to me. If Jesus goes into the most holy place in 1844, why didn't he come three years later, four years later, five years later? Why didn't he come 40 years later, 50 years later? Somebody says, oh, we don't know when Jesus is going to come. He's just taking his own sweet time. Are you serious? Do you believe that? I don't believe that at all. Not in the halfway. My heart doesn't. You know, I got on my knees when I was a, 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 when I first started to understand that I was an Adventist, different from other churches. And I got on my knees. I asked God, Lord, why are you taking so long to come? If you're an Adventist youth, you should ask that question. Why are you taking so long to come? What are you waiting for? Someone told me, well, he's waiting for the gospel to go to the world. And I read in the book of Colossians where the gospel went to the world already. Oh, y'all looking at me strange. The book of Colossians says the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven. Well, why is he waiting so long? What is he waiting for? And notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7. Go with me there. And this is a little deviation from what I was going to talk about. It's all right. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, notice what the Bible says here. In Revelation chapter 7, when you see all these events taking place, and the world is falling apart at its seams, financial crisis all over the world, people are being manipulated and controlled. Why is this taking place? What is God waiting for? Notice what the Bible says in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 7. And after these things I saw four angels. How many angels? I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor any tree. Hold the winds. Why? And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal. Having the what? Having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have what? Y'all not listening to this thing. It says, don't hurt the earth, neither the sea nor the trees. Do not let chaos or corruption come until what happens? Until we have sealed them. Oh. It seems to me then that this ideal of seal, mark, sign, is a token of a covenant. It seems to me that God is not waiting on more financial crisis. He's not waiting for another hurricane or an earthquake in California. 
He's not waiting for another tsunami. He's not waiting for anything like that. He says, hold the winds until they are sealed. It seems to me then that if the winds are being loosed, there's a sealing taking place. Now, here's my question. You listen to me, listen carefully. If there's a sealing taking place, are you being sealed? If the God of the earth is letting loose the winds of all the, of creation, his creation is out of control, chaos is in the land, I'm asking you a question, friends. Are you sealed? Are you preparing to be sealed? Do you even know what it means to be sealed? Oh, I get it. I know. I know the, I know the classic answer. I'm sealed because I go to church on Saturday. Is that it? Wait, I have it. I'm sealed because I'm a vegan. Veganism is a religion anyway. I'm sealed because I'm a total vegetarian. Is that it? What is the seal about? What is the seal? What is the seal about? Let's go a little further. Medo-Persian falls off the scene. Greece falls off the scene. Nations, one after the other, are falling off the scene because these nations are seeking to live without God. One after the other. Kingdom after kingdom. Of course, you know this one. Rome. Pagan Rome. I want to read a quotation to you. It's going to come up here on the screen in a moment. We're going to bypass this one for a moment. I want you to read this. And I want you to think about where you are in relation to this quotation. And it's talking about the Jews of old. Listen to this. For more than a thousand years. How many years? How many years have Adventists been waiting for Jesus to come? No, Adventists only been waiting for 167 years. All right? This is a thousand years. For more than a thousand years, the Jewish people had awaited the Savior's coming. More than a thousand years. Upon this event, they had rested their brightest hopes in song. Isn't that good? Isn't it good to wait on the Lord in song? In song and prophecy, in temple rite and household prayer, they had enshrined his name. And yet at his coming, they what? You, this scares me. I read something like that. That gets me a little afraid. You understand? Because we just came to church today, and we're preaching, and we're singing, and we're prophesying. Are we doing that? I read something like that, and Jesus came, and they didn't know him? Strange. The beloved of heaven was to them as a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness, and they saw in him no beauty that they should desire him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. This passage troubled me as it should trouble you, to wait for Jesus to come for a thousand years, to preach and prophesy about it, to come every Sabbath. They were Sabbath keepers, and they're there, and they're not ready to receive him. That troubles me. It appears to me that they have lost their focus. Let's go a little further. Listen to this. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Providence had directed, listen to this, Providence had directed the movements of nations and the tide of human impulse and influence 
until the world was ripe for the coming of the deliverer. The world was ripe for what? Well, deliverer from what? What's wrong with the nations? The nations must have been out of control. Is that right? Listen. The nations were united under... Are you paying attention, friends? The nations were united under one government. What is our global situation in this world now? There is a one government being developed. You're not listening. One language was widely spoken and was everywhere recognized as the language of literature. Let me ask you another question. What is the one language widely spoken around the world today? English. It's the language of money. It's not because the English language is perfect, because it's not. It's simply because it's money involved in this language. Wait, let's go a little further. From all lands, the Jews of dispersion gathered to Jerusalem to, to the annual feasts. As they returned to the places of their sojourn, they could spread throughout the world the tidings of the Messiah's coming. So the one world government was perfect for the spreading of the gospel. Y'all not listening this morning? You know, some people, some people say, oh, there's a global economy, there's a globalization. Praise God, it's going to be easier for the gospel to go. You'll see. Notice what this says. The fullness of time had come. Humanity becoming more degraded through the ages of transgression, called for the coming of the Redeemer. Satan had been working to make the gulf deep and impassable between earth and heaven. And I, can I say this a little differently? Satan had been working to make the gulf impassable between the family of earth and the family of heaven. He wanted it to be completely impossible for God to save man. But wait. By his falsehoods, he had emboldened men in sin. It was his purpose. It was his what? To wear out the forbearance of God and to extinguish his love for man so that he would abandon the world to satanic jurisdiction. This is Satan's plan. I want God to get so frustrated with mankind that he has nothing to do with them. That was his goal. Wait. There's more. Satan was seeking to shut out from men a knowledge of what? God. Wait a second. True education, when it was first initially done, it brought about the knowledge of God. God wanted homes to be established that reflected men and women who knew God. But Satan now, affecting and attacking the very center of God's plans, attacks the home. I can't tell you how many Adventists I've counseled. And I'm just a young 30-something-year-old boy. But I've counseled old and young Seventh-day Adventists who don't like each other who live in the same house. The husband lives in this part of the house and the wife lives on this side of the house. Children disrespect their parents. Why is this? Because Satan is affecting the home. Notice. His strife for supremacy. Wait. To turn their attention from the temple of God to establish his own kingdom. His strife for supremacy has seemed to be almost wholly successful. It is true that in every generation God had his agencies. Even among the heathen there were men through whom Christ was working to uplift the people from their sin and degradation. But these men were despised and hated. Many of them suffered a violent death. The dark shadow that Satan had cast over the world grew deeper and deeper. Now there's a reason why I'm reading so much of this. I want you to see the times in which when Christ came into the world what they were like. And the condition of mankind, notice this. Deception, the deception of sin had reached its height. 
All the agencies for depraving the souls of men have been put in operation. The Son of God, looking upon the world, beheld suffering and misery. With pity, he saw how men had become victims of satanic cruelty. He looked with compassion upon those who were being corrupted, murdered, and lost. They had chosen a ruler. They had chosen a what? They had chosen a ruler who chained them to the, his car as captives. Romans 6.16, 6, you know it. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You can say you love Jesus all you want, but if you go out there and you beat your wife or lie and cheat and steal, cheat on your taxes, you don't love Jesus, you love yourself. You can say you love Jesus all you want, but if Jesus says, I have souls that don't know me, will you please go share? And you say, I'm too tired, I'm too, I work too hard this week, I just got to sit back and watch TV or whatever. You don't love Jesus, you love yourself. Let's just be honest. The work of God needs going forward. The gospel needs to be preached to the world. Money is needed in evangelism. You say, I got investments in stocks and bonds and larger houses and more fancy cars. Don't tell me you love Jesus, you love yourself. I speak plainly to you. Selfishness is the core of all our issues. And the worst selfish person is a Seventh-day Adventist. They're the worst. We are the worst. Go a little further. Watch this now. My time is fleeting. Bewildered and deceived, they were moving on in a gloomy procession towards eternal ruin. Talking about mankind. To death in which there is no hope. Toward night which comes no morning. Satanic agencies were incorporated with men. What does that mean? The bodies of human beings made for the dwelling place of God have become the habitation of demons. Wait a second. This is in Christ's day when he came on planet earth. These bodies, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Is that right? God made these bodies so that his Holy Ghost could dwell inside, but humanity had so resisted God that demons dwelled inside. My wife and I were walking through this little plaza out there in New Hampshire. It was one of our days when we didn't have to do any work that day. We were walking through. I mean, I was minding my business. And I'm walking through that little plaza, and I saw all these papers on this table, and I began to look because I thought they were flyers. And I walked over to the flyer, and it said, Occult One. And I said, hmm, interesting. And as I'm looking, there's another man that comes rapidly towards my direction, and he says, get away from my stuff. And I'm like, sorry, sir. And I began to walk away, and as I'm walking away, he said, get out of here. Now, I'm already walking away. Now, my natural self, my natural self would have said, man, who are you talking to? But then the Lord said, no, don't do that. And as I walked away, my wife said she noticed a man as if he wanted to attack us, but was restrained. And I went and looked up what I saw in that paper, and I saw that that was witchcraft. He was practicing witchcraft. He was demonically possessed. Do you think that this is only for Jesus' time that demons walk around now? There are demons on your TV, demons all around you, brother, beloved. There are men and women who subjected themselves only to influences by Satan, and we walk out as if we have power of ourselves. 
I've sat in under a preacher standing in the pulpit of a Seventh-day Adventist and this man preaching hellish ideas. It said that Elijah was still on his way to heaven. Have you ever heard such foolishness? Elijah's still on his way to heaven. We'll be sinning till Jesus comes. Foolishness. I don't understand the idea. If Satan is thrown out of heaven for sin, why will he let you back in with it? You're not listening. Notice the senses, the nerves, the passions, the organs of men were worked by supernatural agencies in the influence of the vilest lusts. The very stamp of demons was impressed upon the countenance of men. Human faces reflected the expression of the legions of evil with which they were possessed. Such was the prospect upon which the world's redeemer looked. What a spectacle for infinite purity to behold. Anybody ever had children? I have a sister. Sisters. Two sisters. We were both raised Seventh-day Adventists, both in this message for this time. Both my sisters ended up leaving the church. I had a best friend, went to a training school like the training school I went to, preached with power. He could preach better than me any day, ended up leaving the church. I wonder, with my little heartache that I had, I mean, I spent nights praying and crying over my sister. I wonder what the heartache of God is watching his children rebel and being misused and mistreated by Satan. I wonder what, his, what he thinks about every day when he wakes up. But he doesn't wake up. When I wake up, I think about it. He stays awake. I can't imagine thinking about the trials and the frustrations of the children of men, all of them, every day. Sometimes we become so isolated. We think... We, about ourselves only. God thinks about every person. How many people in the world? Billions. And God is concerned about every person, every trial, every situation. I can imagine how he deals with it. It breaks his heart. Now, I want us to see something. I want you to go to the book of Matthew. And it's time for me to almost shut down here. The book of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew, chapter 23. I want to eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. I want us to begin at verse number 33. And notice the words that Jesus is speaking. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, who can, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall, shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, of Barcaius, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Listen to these words. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you how? Let me answer your question. Here is God of heaven, sent in human form, this man Jesus. And he says, Jerusalem, my children, I would have loved to gather you under my... Why does he say under his wings? What is that for? Protection. Guardianship. I would have loved to gather you under my wings, but ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you how? Desolate. Why? Because there's no salvation outside of Jesus. Your home will not have happiness if Jesus is not the center of that home. You're not having morning and evening devotion with your family. How can you be happy? I don't get it. I mean, I'm happy. See? You look at my wife and my child, we're happy. And I'm not just, I'm not bragging. What I'm saying is we're happy because there are principles that God has put in place that maintain happiness in the home. Jesus is the center of that. If he's not the center of your home, your home is miserable. I don't care how much you make, how much money you have, how big your house is, or how fancy your car is. Your home is miserable without Jesus. And sometimes, you know, we just moved to the country last year up on a mountain. First time being in the country. The first time I went to sleep there, I slept like I had never slept in my 30-something years. I thought that was amazing. I mean, there was absolutely no noise. No sirens, nobody arguing. There was, it was absolute peace. I didn't know how stressed out I was until I went to sleep in the country. And some of you think you're happy in your relationship, but you don't even know what happiness really is yet. Here, Jesus comes. I would have loved to gather you under my wings, but you would not. Go to Luke 19. Luke 19. Luke 19. Look at verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41. Listen to me carefully. Luke 19, verse 41. When you have it, just say amen. Notice what the Bible says here. The Bible says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it and saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench round about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee on every side. And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another. Why, Lord? This is the question, why? The answer? Because they knew not the time of their visitation. They didn't know what? All right, I'm going to bypass these quotations. I need to get to my... My, my chart for you. They did not know the time. You see here, this is the outer court. Everybody's familiar with that? The outer court, the time, for the time frame for the outer court, from the beginning of time to 8031. All right? Outer court experience of the people of God. And I'll explain that to you later on this afternoon. 
I'm going to replace the beginning with the year 457, if that's okay. 457, the time of the out-of-court experience with the people of God. 457 to 31 AD, what happens in the year 31 AD, friends? You tell me. What happens in the year 31 AD? Jesus is crucified in the year 31 AD. I want you to take a look at this. This is the 70-week prophecy. To me, this is the most important prophecy of all the prophecies in the Bible. The most important time prophecy of all the prophecies. Remember, because they did not know the time of their visitation, their house was left what? Because they didn't know the time. Let's go a little further. The time of their visitation, I'm going to point it out to you. The time of their visitation is this time right here. What is that, what is that there that, that, that arrow is pointing to? What is that? This is the time of their visitation from 27 A.D. to 34 A.D. This is when God in flesh came amongst his people, and his people said, I don't want nothing to do with you. Oh, I would have loved to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens, but you have refused the only means of salvation. You have refused the only means of the covenant that I made with Abraham. In the midst of this week, the Bible says that he confirms the covenant. Well, how do you confirm a covenant? You must shed blood. Y'all not listening to me right now. In the midst of this week, God sheds his blood, confirms the covenant that with this shed blood, I will bless all the families of the earth. But the family he came to save, that family rejected him. You know what we do? We say, oh, those horrible Jews. Those, those knucklehead Jews. Oh, they should have done so much better. Go with me to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. And you know this passage so very well, but I want you to listen. I want you to listen to me good. In Revelation chapter 3, you notice, you notice what the Bible says here. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, you know this, you know it well. And the Bible says unto the angel of the church, verse 14, 3 verse 14, Revelation 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, right? These things say of the amen, the faithful and true what? Witness. What does a witness talk about? What he sees. Is that right? A witness talks about what he sees and what he hears. The beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich. Increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Question, if I were wretched, miserable, poor and blind and naked, don't you think I would know it? If I'm standing up here preaching and I'm butt naked, you would say, that man is crazy. Get the paddy wagon. Wouldn't you do that? But the Bible says the condition of God's church in these final hours is that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But wait, why does he say this? Notice what the Bible says, continuing on. I counsel thee. He's a gentleman. He didn't say I command thee. Here's my counsel to you. 
I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and do what? Let me ask you a question. Do you knock at your own door? I go to my house. I have a key. I open the door with a key. Boom. Walk in. I don't knock to ask, unless I forget my key, right? But who normally knocks at a door? A visitor. Listen to me. A visitor knocks at a door. Apparently, as God sees us as a people, he's still outside. But why are the children of Israel left desolate? Because they did not know the time. I wonder when the time of our visitation began. The anchor prophecy doesn't leave us to guess about that. The anchor prophecy takes us from 457 all the way to the year 1844. This year, the Advent movement Christ has said, the Jewish nation is 31. You understand? 27 to 34. This is the Jewish nation. This is the visitation for the Jewish nation. Here, from 1844 till now, Jesus has been like this. One hundred and sixty-seven years. Can you imagine knocking on the door for one hundred and sixty-seven years? How long have you been alive? He's waiting for a church, a people. He's waiting for you. I want to tell you something, friends. I am sick and tired of this world. Can I just say it plainly? I don't like it down here. You know, personally, I will give away all my clothes and all my money today if I knew that I could just go home. Whatever God wants from me, I want to give it to him. I want to give him everything that I have. What about you? Today. Is he on the outside? The Jewish nation lost its privilege because he was on the outside. They did not know the time of their visitation. My challenge to you, friends, is very simple. Not complicated. There's nothing deep. There's something you heard five billion times. Jesus wants to come into your heart. He wants you to stop working out your own salvation of your own abilities and let him work in connection with you so that we can get off this planet. The world is coming to a close. The signs tell us that the ceiling is already in place. What are you going to do? God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath.